Welcome to Short Films Teachers Love, Episode 1. I love a simple title, don't you? Short Films Teachers Love is about exactly what it says. Short films that teachers love. I'll be featuring three short films every episode and we'll explore why teachers love them. There'll be links to where you can get access to these films in the show notes. Sometimes the films are freely available, sometimes you might need to pay, but you can always get access to them somewhere online at the time that the episode is published. My plan is to run this podcast each fortnight. One week I'll add a new full half hour episode as an audio version on SoundCloud and iTunes. On the alternate weeks, I'll be uploading a more tightly edited version on YouTube of around five to seven minutes. That way you can actually see extracts of the short films that we're talking about. But what do I know about what teachers love? Well, I have some ideas, but the best ideas are the ones that teachers themselves have. Over the last five years in my work running the Campfire Film Foundation, I've spoken to literally hundreds of teachers, and I've concluded that talking to teachers about what works for them is the most helpful thing that other teachers need to hear, something that we don't hear enough of. So that's what this show is all about, talking to teachers and learners about short films that work. This first episode has a different format, where it's just me, and I want to give some background to explain why I'm doing this podcast. But before getting into that, there's two things I want to clarify up front. This is called Short Films Teachers Love, not Short Videos Teachers Love, for a very good reason. Video to me just means moving image and sound without any reference to meaning or purpose. Film, on the other hand, describes something completely different, especially in the context of education. Without getting into a really serious definition, here's the way that I think of the difference. If we say, let's go online and find an educational video, what we usually mean is, let's find an instruction manual in video form. Google any topic you want to learn about, and you'll almost certainly find somewhere near the top, someone aged anywhere from about 5 to 95 years of age, who can tell us what they think the best explanation is to answer your question. They might use moving images and sound and some filmic techniques, but you wouldn't call them films. They're instructional videos, just like instruction manuals. Films, on the other hand, are what you see at a film festival, maybe in a cinema or even on TV, and more often now, online. Unlike instruction manuals, films are more like poetry or a carefully written story. They're made with care about how the ideas are expressed, as much as what is being expressed. But most importantly, they engage us in the best kind of learning of all. Lifelong learning. And lifelong learning is what this podcast is all about. Finally, a quick technical note. You might notice that this episode looks and sounds a whole lot better than most of my interviews over the coming weeks. My old film school lecturer complained that he hates Skype interviews, mainly because of the low quality of picture and sound and, and the syncing issues that you sometimes get. Well, for those of you like him who can't stand it, I do apologise, but I also need to say this. The fact that I can now interview teachers and learners from around the world is a modern miracle, thanks to the internet and technologies like Skype. And without that, I wouldn't have time or resources to even do a podcast like this. 
I'm sure the quality will continue to get better as time goes on and as I can afford to upgrade what I have available. But in the meantime, please bear with me. My priority is always to get the best quality of sound and picture, particularly of the films, that I can given the constraints that I have to work with. And in the end, it's the ideas which are most important. I hope what you see and hear inspires you to look past any technical imperfections. Right, with that bit of housekeeping done, let's get on with the show. The best short films for lifelong learning recommended by teachers for teachers. This is Short Films Teachers Love with your host, Richard Lee. One of the biggest reasons for this podcast and what motivates me is that I love teachers. I must love teachers because I married one. What's more, my wife encouraged me to get my own teaching qualification, which I did after finishing film school. I've been a fully qualified secondary school teacher now for many years in the area of maths and science and media studies. But I haven't spent any long periods of time in the classroom because I've been busy with other work, mainly in various forms of freelance film and video roles and my previous work with the Campfire Film Foundation. I also haven't had much incentive, to be honest, to be in the schooling system either. People often joke about how many holidays teachers get, but I think that's one of the very few perks. I read this on a forum recently from a teacher in her 20s. She wrote... I'm starting to think that maybe teaching just isn't for me. I'm in my third year of teaching primary and I love the children, but I'm just struggling. I sit down at the end of the day and I feel like curling up in a ball under my desk. I feel like I'm just managing to keep my head above water. And it's not just young teachers either. An older teacher on another forum wrote this, which was very short and to the point. 35 years in education, lots of success stories, Education is my life. I cannot carry on. It is destroying me. Wow, that is so tragic. And I know there's probably other factors going on in the lives of these individual teachers, but to me, it just underlines the challenges that teachers face simply doing their job. The need to constantly engage students in relevant ways, pitching everything at exactly the right level for each class. And that's in addition to the regular business of teaching, the marking, the reporting, and keeping up with new standards. And add to this all of the things that can go wrong with staff administration in politics, which which it often does and, and happens whenever you get large groups of people working together. It's tough. I'm sure I don't need to remind you. So teachers, this podcast is for you. When I say teachers, you might be surprised at the kinds of people I find to interview. Not all of my guests are teachers in a school. I'm hoping to talk to some homeschool teachers and educators in the broader sense as well, like those working in the training sector, training centres, community groups, or areas of particular interest like ministers of religion or or non-religious public leaders too. Anyone that might give us a new perspective on what makes a great short film for lifelong learning. And finally, I want to help break down the divide between teachers and learners because When it comes down to it, we're all learning. The best teachers I know are those who are enthusiastic about teaching because of their own love of learning. You don't have to have a charismatic personality, I think, but you do need to have a genuine desire to learn and share your curiosity with others. That's what I believe makes a good teacher great. So here's my appeal to you. 
teachers and learners, and educators of any kind. If you've recently shown a short film or video to help enlighten others, get in touch. I'd love to interview you, to learn from you. I've given some links to getting in touch in the show notes, written just below wherever you found this episode online. Or you can just email me at richard at richly.media. That's R-I-C-H-L-Y dot M-E-D-I-A. No dot com, no nothing. Dot media. It's a new domain. I'd love to hear from you, and I trust that our conversations will help both you and the millions of teachers around the world as you push on to great teaching. Time for a film. Every episode will focus on three short films, including this introductory episode. The first film I'd like to recommend is called Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea. It quickly became apparent that the people we met had come to Indonesia because it's the threshold to Australia. It is a place where, rumour has it, asylum seekers can go, register and wait to have their claims processed according to law. They saw Indonesia as the doorstep to Australia, not so they could kick down the door, but so they could knock and wait to be let in. I suppose you could say they'd come to stand in the queue. Barrister Jesse Taylor and cinematographer Chris Kamen went on a secret trip to Indonesia and interviewed countless people about their motivations for coming to Australia as asylum seekers. It is such a moving and powerful story, giving the perspective of people that we rarely hear from in this politically charged debate. The link I'll provide takes you to the short 11-minute version of the film, something which we did with the filmmakers to meet the needs of teachers when I was running Campfire. Teachers often told us that they usually didn't have time for showing full-length feature films in class, which is where the idea of the podcast focusing on short films comes from. Being such a topical film, I would often show this one as I travelled around meeting teachers for my work with Campfire. At the end of the 11 minutes, there was often silence and tears as the voiceover described some of the excruciating details about the plight of so many desperate people and the facts that come up on screen about the death of so many of them. There was one particular screening I still remember from my travels, and it was to an audience of just two teachers who were in the senior management at school. We watched the whole 11-minute film, and there was the usual silence at the end. Apparently, there'd been a lot of internal staff issues at the school that morning before it arrived. And then, after the film, the the assistant principal said to me, following a deep sigh, she said, Wow, that kind of makes all our petty concerns here at the school seem very trivial. And that's it. That is what a short film can do, cause us to step out of ourselves and, and our own little worlds for a moment. One of my earliest memories of the power of the moving image happened in our little primary school in the mid-1970s. Every Friday afternoon, we'd all head down to the big general purpose room and, and sit on the floor as they wheeled out a 16mm projector. We'd see a range of films, and one in particular that stays with me was called A City Awakens. I haven't been able to get hold of it today, but it simply showed what happens as a bustling city came to life. And I remember being intrigued particularly by the men who collected the garbage, up and awake before anyone else, doing all this work while I was asleep. It was like switching on a light bulb for my young mind as I realised, probably for the first time, that these people existed. This, this was a whole other world out there that I never even knew about. The people who collected my garbage. 
I love it when such a simple film can do that. So why am I running this podcast? What's it all about? I've talked about my love and respect for teachers, but there's another reason. I also love the work that filmmakers do. I love filmmakers. Once again, there's a bit of self-interest here for me because I've spent most of my adult life working in the film and video industry. In fact, over 20 years, if you include some of the small projects I did prior to film school in 1997. It's important to say here too that all of the short films discussed in this show are suggested by teachers, not me. Not by anyone who's paid to promote a film for their own gain. Every episode has a disclosure statement to say what relationship, if any, a teacher has to the film they're recommending. I want to have complete transparency in this very subjective area of film selection so that you can trust that there are no hidden agendas. In the case of today's episode, all of the films I've chosen were from the old Campfire Film Foundation site, which is now closed as an organisation. Many of the films hosted at Campfire were not exclusive. In other words, they can be found elsewhere online, usually on Vimeo or YouTube. I received nothing financial in return for talking about the ones I've chosen today. So how do filmmakers get paid? And this is a really important question, but it's also a huge topic in itself and something I'd like to take more time to delve into down the track. For now, my best summary of the situation is that I believe we're in a funny kind of twilight time in the history of the internet that will come to an end and the situation will improve for filmmakers. The question of rights, royalties and what's legal for use in education is an enormous issue that um, I've been involved with panels on, but it continues to challenge even the biggest companies in the world like Google and Apple. But I've already seen some of the really promising work being done by the likes of the Copyright Hub in the UK. They're busy creating tools and plugins that make it easy for teachers to fairly and legally use films in education in a way that honours and respects the hard work that filmmakers put into making them in the first place. Call me an optimist, but I'm genuinely hopeful about this situation. In the meantime, I believe it's the conversations we have around good short films that are the most valuable. So my little effort here in running this podcast is partly driven by the desire to support filmmakers by having their films talked about in the context of teaching and learning. I spent years at Campfire talking to teachers about the films we were collecting, and sometimes I just wished I could capture better what teachers were saying. I'd show a film and teachers would say, oh, this had worked really well, or no, nah, that's no good, for really different reasons. It was a privilege to get this direct feedback on what worked, a little like getting a window into the world of the classroom. And, and it's this feedback that I want to share with filmmakers. Many filmmakers would tell me that they weren't so fussed about the money. They just wanted to know that their film was being used in school, being used to help educate others. It's a rewarding thing knowing your film has been used to enlighten others. For many filmmakers, myself included, knowing that my work has helped someone else learn is so rewarding. I spent eight years making educational videos for a company called Video Education Australasia, which also closed last year. There was something deeply moving about hearing students who'd learned something from one of the videos I'd made there. It was a, a measure of success, if you like. What does it mean for a film to be a success? If you create a Hollywood blockbuster, it's about ticket sales at the box office. But for small independent filmmakers, there's basically awards at festivals, and that's it. 
you can put it online where the most common measurement is how many views has it had? Or we want to know, has it gone viral? But the measurement for how effective a film is for teaching is very different. I want to open up this value judgment beyond the raw numbers, beyond the views, beyond the viral count. And because I love the work of filmmakers, I want them to understand that better too. There's one final thing I'd like to add here about films before we move on. And I want to say this directly to teachers. You do not need to be a film expert to use short films in your teaching. In my job at Campfire, I'd often have to cold call schools. It's a bit demoralising, but I'd get on the phone and I'd say, I'd like to talk to someone about using short films in the classroom. And almost without fail, they'd say, oh, I'll put you through to the media teacher, or um, I think our art teacher teaches visual arts and, and media. I'll put you through. And my heart would sink. No, short films can be used in any subject, I'd say. Or well, they're never quite like that, because, but, it, but it's what I thought. Let's talk about how films can be used for teaching in your subject area, not how to dissect the art and craft of filmmaking. You might have a better appreciation for film if you understand the language better, but teaching with film is every bit as useful as teaching about film. And what's interesting too is that despite my 20 years of experience with short films, I'm still learning from other teachers, but also from students, from my own children. Lots of people have good ideas and good insights about short films. Let's take a quick break to have a look at another great short film. This one's called Electric Dreams. If there's so much electricity everywhere, why don't scientists put electricity into everything? Imagine it. Electric forks, electric blogs, electric books, electric pillows, electric tissues, electric car ports. Oh, oh my God. Electric pants. To me, this is a short film that can be used to engage in all sorts of ways. It's essentially a comedy, but it connects us as viewers to some really big ideas. I remember when I first saw this, I continued to think about it for weeks afterwards. It was probably the film that made me realise how much we depend on electricity. And it made me start to wonder, what would it be like if we ran out of the means to generate electricity? Not bad for a short film made in only 48 hours. I first came across it when I was asked to be a judge for something called the 48-Hour Environmental Film Festival. And of the 10 or so films that were shortlisted, this one just stood out a mile because it was funny. So many of the other entrants took us down the usual path of doom and gloom and, and just left me feeling depressed about the state of the world post-peak oil. This one opens up a world of ideas and, and really gets us thinking and wondering and considering possibilities. It reminds me about that saying of the value of good comedy, that it stands entertaining at the front door while the truth gets in a side window. There is so much room for creativity with short films, often because they're short. I had the pleasure of capturing on video a teacher a few years ago and she was using this film at the upper primary school level. She had a group of about 25, 10 and 11 year old students. The topic was not environmental science, however. The topic she was teaching was critical thinking. 
I'll include the link to that video in the show notes as well. But it was such a great film to use as stimulus for deeper thinking and analysis. We have a real tendency in education, I think, to divide up the world. We divide into groups or disciplines, subjects or key learning areas, which, which is really handy when you're trying to assess students and reach certain educational standards. But the world, of course, is much more complex than that. Short Films Teachers Love, I hope, will be a way to get the nuances and overlaps between strict subject boundaries. As I go on, I will tag films with particular subject areas to help you as teachers find what's relevant to your subject area. But I'm also interested in blurring the lines between disciplines. Why? Because I want to help students in our increasingly complex world think about the interconnectedness of all things and promote their learning for life. Okay. I've talked about my love for teachers, my love for filmmakers and the work they do, but there's one other big reason that gets to the deepest motivation of all for me. I love truth. Now, this might sound really heavy, and I certainly don't want this podcast to take itself too seriously, but I'm definitely motivated by a pursuit of the bigger questions of life and how they're dealt with in short films. As an art form, short films can be a potent little source of energy. In fact, I'd argue that when they're done well, short films are the most powerful, the most shareable, and the most pervasive contemporary art form that we have access to. Yet, unlike painting and poetry, which has been around for centuries, filmmaking is relatively immature. And short films that can be made by anyone, as distinct from the Hollywood blockbuster, is an even newer form of the art. I want us as a society to be a bit more savvy about this art form and better understand the way that it has potential for both good and for bad. I want to do a bit of investigative journalism, if you like, among teachers and filmmakers themselves to see where the power of the form is being used and abused or just a bit misunderstood. Let me expand a bit here with the example of documentaries. The documentary genre is the most popular in education because it is seen as a source of truth. But are documentaries really true? Who says so? And by whose standards or values are we measuring this truth? Are they more true than a well-constructed dramatic narrative or an animation? Many social impact documentaries are great at persuading us to think about issues, but they often rely on one particular point of view. A great story is often told where we can simplify the issues we're exploring, but big issues are complex and involve many points of view, many parts to that narrative. So when is the truth of an issue shifted a little because it gets in the way of a good story? Then there's the emotional arguments. How much do documentaries rely on emotional manipulation? In that way, how are they different to advertisements? These are big questions that I want to explore with the people I'll interview. One of the great short films to have gone viral in the last decade, with over 18 million views just on one channel alone, depicted what seemed to be an average woman off the street. She takes a seat, and as the music begins, she is blasted in high speed through an entire commercial process, starting with the pampering at a commercial fashion shoot, then to the following post-production on Photoshop of elongating her neck, adjusting her cheeks, widening her eyes, and finally landing on a billboard as a glamorous model advertising a brand of makeup. 
A text screen at the end says, no wonder our perception of beauty is disordered. It's powerful stuff. It's a great short film, all done in just over a minute from start to finish. And who made it? A multinational personal care and beauty business called Dove. A business owned by Unilever, which is one of the largest consumer goods companies in the world. If that's not ironic, tell me what is. And these are the kind of things that I want to explore. Short films can be great films. They can inspire us to acts of kindness, but they can also lead us down a dark path in the wrong direction. I want to understand that better. I want to peel back the layers to get to the truth, knowing that truth is revealed in a multitude of ways and has multiple layers. This is one film that has real emotional truth to it. It's called Something to Tell You, another little Australian short that has won awards around the world. There you have it, my little problem. My weapon of mass disabuse. Yes, the adage is true. All the nice guys are either gay, married or retards. Every time I see that part, I laugh. And the film's protagonist, Gary himself, I think gives us permission to laugh. I've shown this film to some very large groups, and, and one time in particular was to a group of rowdy Year 10 boys. That's boys of about 15 years old. I recommend you watch this for yourself, but don't expect high-action, big-budget drama. The first few minutes is almost completely silent as we watch Gary, a guy with clearly an incapacitating disability, going about his regular nightly routine. Then he begins a monologue that continues for the rest of the film. The monologue is, is simply him reading out a letter that he's sending via an online dating site where he's finally revealing to his friend that he has a disability. It was incredible to watch how quickly this simple, quiet, observational documentary captured the attention of an entire room of rowdy teenage boys. I had one teacher at a different school tell me, there's nothing quite like showing something that real because the responses you get from students are so different. And I think what the teacher meant was that they're different to videos that simply instruct. This is a beautifully made film, so artfully done. It's a real film. It's a truthful film. It's these kind of films that I love, films that keep me coming back, that I keep reflecting on long after I've seen them. I agree this film might not step me through the facts about disability in structure manual style, but it reveals a much deeper truth about the person of Gary and what it's like to live as he does. These are the films I love teaching with because they help reveal something deeper. But that's just me. I want to find out what you think, wherever you are on the journey of teaching and learning. Thanks for sticking with me this far in this first explanatory episode of Short Films Teachers Love. I hope you now have a better handle on what it's all about and why I'm so passionate about doing it. I love teachers and the work they do. I love filmmakers and the incredible creative art form that they give us to use. And I love truth in all its forms and all its layers. I hope this podcast will inspire us all to work together with our diverse backgrounds and interests as we lead others into the future of this amazingly rich world that we live in. I look forward to seeing your comments and feedback in the spaces below. 
See you in the next episode, where I speak to science teacher, Dr. Peter McClive. If you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe to the show. Jump onto our Facebook page, Short Films Teachers Love, or tell someone else who's looking for a short film for their teaching. <laughs>